The reading this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22. That's Revelation 3 verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Helen, for our reading there. Hello again. Uh, in case you missed me earlier, my name's Adam. I'm the vicar of St. Jude's. Let's pray together before we look at this passage. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us in so many different ways. And as we come before you now, will you speak to us through your word afresh today? Would you point us to your son, Jesus? And lift our eyes to him, so that we might see him at work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how many of you remember that watching the comedian Catherine Tate, uh, her show, with the intensely annoying teenage character, uh, Lauren, who would, at a moment's notice, declare, Am I bothered? For those of you who don't remember, or even if you do, forgive me, here's a short 30-second clip, just in case you don't know. All right. You ready, Lise? Uh, yeah, listen, right? She didn't know there was a party at all. I know. What do you mean, you know? She ain't invited. What? I'm above it. Oh, don't worry about it. 
you know, just come along. They won't mind. No, they will mind. You don't like it. You're not invited, mate. Am I bothered, though? But what are you going to do? Nothing, because I ain't bothered. Well, yeah, but you could just... Do I look like I'm bothered? No, I know. Do I look like I'm bothered, though? All right, but I don't no, but think... does my face look bothered? Why don't... Is his face bothered? Well, yeah, but why... bothered? Why don't you just... Because I ain't even bothered. Do you want me to read? No, because I'm not even bothered. But... Ask me if I'm bothered. Well... Ask me if I'm bothered. Ask me if I'm bothered. Why? Ask me if I'm bothered. Ask me if I'm bothered. Are you bothered? No, they told you I was bothered. She don't care. Just leave it. Yeah, she does, though. There we go. I'll save the rest for you for another time. You can watch it. We've just come to the, we've come to the end of this short series looking at what Jesus is saying to the seven churches at the start of Revelation and what he might be saying to us through them. I've got a little table which has got all of the seven churches on it. I'm afraid it's a little bit small, um, so uh, you have to trust me that they are all there. Each of them have followed a similar pattern. All of them have some form of uh, instruction to them and a reward. Uh, all except for Smyrna and uh, Philadelphia have some form of criticism. That's the second column that you see there, or third column. All of them are commended by Jesus for something. All that is except for Laodicea. Imagine being the only church that God can find nothing to commend. Imagine. The major criticism of the Laodiceans, as we'll see, is indifference. And so my question for you today and for us today, both from this letter to the Laodiceans, but also as we reflect on the last seven weeks, is are you bothered? I think Jesus asks three questions of the church in Laodicea, and we'll look at those in turn. Do you need God today? Do you love God today? And will you change for God today? The first of those then, do you need God? Do we need God today? Verse 17 of our reading, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Laodicea was the financial capital of uh, the region, uh, perhaps a bit like the city of London. It was a very wealthy place. It may have been even like uh, Clifton in Bristol. I'll come to that in just a moment. In Laodicea, they knew uh, that there was, uh, they had this amazing expensive wool that they made the most beautiful clothes out of. They had this fantastic balm for the eyes that could solve any uh, eye issue. As I say, I used to live in Clifton in Bristol, and it was full of houses like this on the screen, uh, beautiful Regency houses. Some of those are similar in Southsea as well. They give this image of opulence, of being altogether completely sorted. Perhaps the owners of some of these houses might say, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. One of the things I loved to do when I lived in Clifton was to go around the back of the houses. There were alleyways that you could wander around the backs of the houses and to peek over the walls to see what the back gardens of these houses looked like. Very often, there'd be moldy mattresses or broken washing machines or on one occasion, a rusting car. Very often, there'd be nettles and weeds overgrowing in the spaces not cared for at all. These gardens look very similar to gardens elsewhere, perhaps in poorer parts of the city. The reality was this opulence, this opulent frontage was a facade. It was hiding the reality of what was going on 
within. What image are we giving to the world? What is our truth? Jesus goes on to say, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Clearly, this isn't a call to purchase our salvation. We can't do that. But instead, to move our eyes and to recognize afresh just how much we each need Jesus. Often it's in times of great distress or great turmoil that we find ourselves recognizing that need of Jesus. But the reality is we need him just as much in times of affluence and in times of wealth, in times of success, as we need him in those times of hardship. To put it another way, as the great hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine. Jesus is so amazing, so divine, that he demands our souls, our life, our all. Do we know that we need Jesus today? Do we act as if we need Jesus today, or are we fully reliant on ourselves? The second question I think we see in this passage is, do we love God today? Verses 15 and 16 of our reading, you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Hot water is medicinal, cold water is refreshing, lukewarm water is nauseating, so much so that the warning here is that Jesus is about to spit them out of his mouth. I said a few weeks ago when I preached on Pergamon that I thought it was probably the most important message for the evangelical church in the West. Remember, to hold to the truth of scriptures against opposition. Interestingly, John Stott, longtime vicar of Old Souls Langham Place, believes that this letter, this letter to Laodicea, is the most important and most relevant to the whole of God's church, not just the evangelical church, the whole of God's church around the world. Do we feel lukewarm in our faith today? Or are we on fire? Are we alive for Jesus It's similar to that message to the church in Ephesus, isn't it? You have forgotten the love that you had at first. Have we forgotten? Have we lost that passion for Jesus? Interestingly enough, uh, I I, I occasionally get told by people that they're feeling lukewarm in their faith or words to that effect. It's more common than perhaps you might expect. I think as Christians, we all have seasons of life where we feel like our faith has perhaps gone off the boil or a bit lukewarm. And occasionally people might come to me to ask for advice in these seasons. I think that our faith, just like our cars, need to be regularly checked and have regular MOTs. We take our car to the garage to make sure it's going to work well. It has a checklist of things that the garage will do in its MOT to make sure it's going to continue to work well. We can do a spiritual MOT for ourselves. Often when people come to our advice, I will talk them through a number of different questions. Uh, Some of them are on the screen here. 
we, I ask first of all about quiet time in, on our Bible. Are we giving God the space each day to speak to me and for his word to live in me? There's a slide coming with these questions on. Discipleship, there we are. In discipleship, are we in a small group of some sort or maybe in a prayer triplet? Are we walking with other Christians, sharing our faith with them? Giving, are we following the commands of Scripture to give sacrificially and joyfully, knowing that God will provide for all that we need? Serving, are we playing our part, whatever that is, in serving the whole body of Christ? Forgiveness, are we following Jesus' command to forgive each other, or are we carrying resentment around with us? Each of these, and it's not an exhaustive list by any means, are spiritual disciplines, ways in which we can grow closer to God, ways in which we can check ourselves and to find out whether or not we are living as a disciple of Christ. Dallas Williard says of spiritual disciplines that they are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realms itself. So this second question, do we love God today? And are we on fire with love for him today? Are we showing our love for him in the ways that we live? The third question I think we see in this passage is around challenge. Are we willing to change for God today? There's a verse that's easy to overlook, verse 19. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. I think as we look at the Gospels and think about Jesus' ministry, we see a two-pronged ministry, one of invitation and one of challenge. We see him interacting in these ways in various parts of the Gospels. Sometimes we see it just in the one verse. I've got a couple of verses here to exemplify, as an example. Matthew 4, verse 19 says, Come and follow me. That's the invitation. And then he says, I will send you out to fish for people. That's the challenge. Or Mark 1, verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's an invitation. And therefore, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. It's the challenge. Are we allowing God to challenge us? Are we allowing other people to speak into our lives and to challenge us? Do we actively seek relationships with people who will challenge us? Or do we prefer nice relationships with people that largely just agree with us? A few weeks ago, when Debs spoke about Sardis, Sam, who was leading the service, said uh, that it's great to be challenged. It's not always easy to change. It reminded me of this cartoon. I don't know how well you can see it, but there's a group of people in front of somebody. And the first thing he says is, who wants to see change? And everybody's got their hand up in the air. And then he says, who wants to change? And everybody's put their hand down and is looking at the floor. It's harder sometimes to actually do this change. And I think we do this by being constantly challenged in our walk with God, to keep on being challenged. 
I've worked hard on this over the last uh, few years. I've still by no means got it right. But it, I know how important it is in my walk with Christ. I've had the same prayer triplet now for seven years since the start of college. We were meeting online long before it was cool to do so because they're vicars in other parts of the country now. I also have a mentor that I see every couple of months. He in turn has a mentor who has a mentor as well. There are other people who I ask to challenge me on uh, my thoughts, my behavior, my discipleship of Christ. But how we respond to that challenge is important as well. Do we simply say, oh, they're wrong, I'm, I'm perfectly fine as I am? Perhaps remembering verse 17 again. Or do we take it on board and listen to God's voice within it? I also set myself my own discipleship challenges as well. I have what's called a rule of life. If you've not heard of a rule of life, look it up on Google later. There's lots of resources out there to help you to form one. This is essentially a framework. The word rule relates really to the trellis that holds a vine up. It's a framework within which my uh, discipleship of Christ is based. And each week, usually on a Sunday evening or a Saturday evening if we're busy, um, I spend time with the Lord and I go through that rule of life and I wonder how well I'm doing in my walk with him against the goals that I've set myself. This is important to me because I so desperately don't want God to say of me what he says of the church in Laodicea. I want when him, when he comes, to find me on fire and with passion for him. Hot and medicinal, or cold and refreshing, not lukewarm, nauseating, and in danger of being spat out. This challenge that I ask others to help me with has worked and not worked in various degrees. Uh, a number of years ago, early on in my time with my prayer triplet, um, I, I didn't have a regular daily quiet time. And I remember saying, I don't know if you've read this book by Bill Hybels, Too Busy Not to Pray. I used to joke that I was too busy to read, too busy not to pray, let alone to do the prayer that's required as well. And a member of my prayer triplet rightly challenged me on that and asked me how much television I was watching or how much time I was spending mindlessly scrolling on Facebook. And I looked at those things, and it was right to challenge. And I reduced those things and incorporated daily times with the Lord into my walk with him, to the point where now that is very much the norm. Areas of life that I'm still working on, one of my rules of life at the moment, is to not check my emails on my day off. This book by John Mark Homer, which I can highly recommend to you, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, really challenged me on my understanding of Sabbath and Sabbath rest. And yet, I'm still not great at not looking at emails on my day off. So much so that I've even said to the staff team here at St. Jude's, if you get an email from me on a Friday, do please challenge me because I shouldn't be sending it to you. I've not got this right, but I'm moving in the right direction. Are we being open to challenge? Are we forging relationships of trust, whether that's a small group or a prayer triplet or a mentoring relationship? where others will and feel able to challenge us? Are we giving God the opportunity to speak challenge into our lives? And if we're in danger of thinking, maybe I'm a bit old in the tooth for this, I'm a bit too old for a mentor maybe, let me tell you gently that I think you're wrong. And to caution you again of verse 17, 
I am rich. I have required wealth, and I do not need a thing. I have good friends in their 80s who have recently uh, formed new prayer triplets and mentoring relationships with others because they also recognize this need to, ta- to see challenge in their lives. Because if we're open to challenge, I think that's when we will see change for God. We will show that we have a faith that is alive and active and loving. We will show our love for God through it. We will recognize how much we need him in our lives. Our reading today includes perhaps one of the most famous verses in Revelation. Revelation 3, verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You probably know this verse well. It inspired this famous piece of artwork by um, Holman Hunt, uh, which will be on the screens in a moment. You'll know, I'm sure, that crucial to this piece of art is that there is no door handle on the outside. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and waits for us to open the door. Just before I come into land, I wonder if you would just for a moment close your eyes and imagine yourself on the other side of this door. Imagine that Jesus has just knocked on the door, wherever you're sat. What do you do? Do you sit there like our friend Lauren from the start and say, am I bothered? Do you get up reluctantly, perhaps, or slowly, feeling, here I go again, I've got to do it again? Slowly prise open the door. Or do you run to it, however metaphorically, and fling it open, excited to see Jesus, to see him in all of his wonder, all of his majesty, and all of his power. Are we at risk of losing sight just how awesome God is, how beautiful he is, how much we truly need him in our lives? A love that is so amazing, so divine, it demands our soul, our life, our all. Now, of course, we don't need to prove ourselves to God. We do this out of response of who he is and because of what he has done for us. And this call to the Laodicean church for wholehearted discipleship is always about a journey rather than the destination. One of my favorite authors, Joyce Mayer, once said, I'm not where I want to be, but I thank the Lord that I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank the Lord that I'm not where I used to be. Just as we go into a moment or two of prayer, I'm going to put those questions back up on on the screen for you. It may be that as we pray, One of these areas in particular, you know you need to work on with the Lord. 
Let's bring ourselves afresh before him before we sing. Here I am, says the Lord. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Each of these letters has finished with the words, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we thank you for these letters. We thank you that each of them has in turn challenged us in our relationship with you. Lord, would you open afresh our ears so that we might hear what you are saying to us. Hearing and understanding the challenge, will you help us to go from this morning with a heart to see change in our lives? Knowing that whilst we may not be where we want to be, we can continue to move forward and not be where we once were. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your wonder, your splendor, your majesty. We recognize afresh our need of you, regardless of our situation. Help us to be people who are on fire with love for you. That know the passion of knowing you. And know that truth, that you have for us a love so amazing, so divine, that it demands our souls, our life, our all.